Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. My name's Shania, for those of you who don't know me, and I have the privilege of serving on the worship team. And I'm just bringing a Bible reading this morning from 1 John 3, verse 23. And it says, And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Good morning. School holidays are almost over. But I'm looking forward to get back into the classroom. Well, I have to say that because some of my students are here this morning. Um... I was just thinking of communion there before I get into it. I don't know if you've ever thought as you've taken communion, uh, why must there be a sacrifice? Why can't God just forgive? Why must there be a sacrifice? Has anybody ever thought that? Okay, there's a few nods, good. Um, That's actually going to be one of our discussion topics. Uh, I run a four-week series. Uh, We call them enrichment Uh, classes here. I prefer to call them Doctrine Discussions, but I'm told that's a bit boring, that title, so they're enrichment classes. One of the topics actually I thought about, uh, out of four topics, is that question, why a sacrifice? Why can't God forgive? The other two, now this will be in a few weeks' time, the other three topics, the first one is, is there any proof, not proof, I don't use the word proof, is there any evidence for the existence of God outside of religion? And I will look at what I think the two best arguments. One is called the cosmological argument or the argument of origins. And the other one is actually a morality. Where does our conscience or morality come from? And I actually think that points to the existence of a God. And then the other question I'm going to look at too, the, the last one is, um, do I, am I re, do, why do I get the blame for Adam and Eve's sin? Um, That doesn't seem fair to me, and it seems a little bit immoral that I should be held responsible for someone else's sin. So that's the other question I'm going to look at too. So what is the link between sin, or my sin, and the sin of the first humans? So there are the four questions. If if you think that's interesting or wouldn't mind getting into a discussion, Uh, then uh, look out for the flyer that we'll put out uh, preceding that in a couple of weeks. Uh, If you think no, that would be boring. I'd prefer to watch The State of Origin. Uh, You'd have to be a New South Wales supporter, though, at the moment. Uh, Then you're most welcome to stay at home as well. I'm going to begin, because I wanted to show you a picture. So we're continuing, actually, we're finishing off our series on rhythms of renewal. And the topic today is growing with each other or one another. And I've got a picture there of redwoods or redwood forests from California. And they are the largest living things on earth. They're the tallest trees in the world. Some of them are 300 feet. And some are estimated to be around 2,500 years old. And now you would think when you look at those trees or a forest like that, that these trees must have a tremendous root system that reaches down hundreds of feet. But that's not actually the case. Redwoods have a very shallow root system. The roots of these trees, however, are intertwined. 
and they are tied with each other. They're interlocked. And consequently, when storms come and the winds blow, the redwoods still stand because of their interdependence on one another. With an interlocking root system, they support and they sustain the other. They grow together. Essentially, they need one another to survive. Fellowship with Christ means connection with each other. Through Christ, God has made us a family, a community of faith. This community here, or if you're a visitor today, your home church is your God-given, or should be, your God-given support system. It's God's will that we grow together. And that's this morning's topic, which is our final message uh, in our series. And one way I thought that we grow together is actually by applying Paul's vital one another injunctions that are found throughout his letters to the early church. These injunctions that he encourages the church to practice not only manifest the fruit of the Spirit, but they are vitally important concerning a growing, maturing church. When we practice these simple exhortations, it helps us as a church to grow together, to become unified, to become Christ-like as a community, and to mature in faith. And this morning I want to briefly, just briefly, mention three of Paul's one another injunctions by focusing on three key verses. Now the first verse comes from Romans chapter 12, verse 10, where Paul says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honour giving preference to one another. A long time ago, a Richard Mart, who was a bishop of Ireland, wrote these really important words. He said, Every deviation from the rules of charity and brotherly love, of gentleness and forbearance, of meekness and patience, every deviation away from those things which our Lord prescribes to his disciples however it may appear to be founded on an attachment to him and zeal for his service, is in truth a departure from the religion of him, the Son of Man who came not to destroy people's lives but to save them. I love those words. What he is saying is you can be part of a church which seems to have everything going fantastically. You might have great programs. You might have great facilities. You might have hundreds of people coming along. But this wise Christian says, if you deviate from the attitude and acts of charity, brotherly love, patience, gentleness, meekness and patience, he says, really, it's actually a departure from the true Christian faith a departure from a connection to the Son of Man who came to save. So for Paul, it's actually adopting these attitudes and acting on them that really grows and builds the church. 
The Greek word he actually uses for love there is, is, is the word philia, which refers to family relationships. A love, for example, between a brother and a sister, like that mentioned this morning as we took communion. And this word actually occurs about 200 times in the New Testament, beginning in the book of Acts. And what Paul is saying in this text is he's basically reminding us as believers that we are born into God's eternal family. We are adopted as God's sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. And this injunction conveys a genuine sense of warmth, tenderness, concern and loyalty. Be fully devoted to one another, he writes. Those are the kinds of things we should see in our church. Warmth towards the other, tenderness, concern, loyalty. Paul also writes in this verse, preferring one another. It's probably better better translated as perhaps anticipating one another. What he says here is take the initiative to show honour and respect to others within the community of God without waiting for them to show it to you. So take the initiative in demonstrating these attitudes. Now I thought, as I looked at these, I thought, how can I consistently do this? How can I consistently practice this brotherly love towards other people in the church? I think Henry Drummond, who was a Scottish biologist and evangelist, sums it up quite well in a simple few words. He says, if you want to love others, the best thing you can do is to contemplate the love of Christ towards you, and you will love. Stand before that mirror, reflect Christ's character, his compassion, his gentleness, his patience, etc. And you will be changed into the same image from tenderness to tenderness. So focus on Christ and his love and let that love flow through you. Now, the second one to another one to look at this morning is the, uh, comes from Romans 15, 7, where Paul says, accept one another just as Christ accept, accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Madonna, the famous singer, uh, a little while ago, a journalist penned these words from an interview he had with Madonna. She said, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. That's always been pushing me, pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody in the music industry, I feel I still have to prove that I'm a somebody. My struggle has never ended and probably never will. Oprah Winfrey, talk show host. She said, I used to think I wasn't worth a damn and certainly not worthy of love unless I was accomplishing something, unless I was a somebody. I suddenly realised one day that I could be loved just for being, just for being who she is. And that's the kind of acceptance Jesus demonstrated towards us. Accept others, says Paul, just as Jesus accepted you. Remember, Jesus didn't ask you to clean up your life, to clean up your act before he accepted you. He accepted you with your limitations, your strengths, what's and all. 
He said, come to him and he will work in you to bring about God's purpose. For Paul says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. When I was a pastor some years ago now, on the south side of Brisbane, I was pastoring uh, a, 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 a smaller church. I was a solo pastor at the time. And we uh, started having a number of people come from the community to join the church. And for me as a pastor, I was so excited about this. It was with different types of people too, because I thought diversity is really good. Even diversity theologically is sometimes a good thing to have. And there were people coming from all different types of church backgrounds and people who, who were, were discovering Jesus for the first time and there were baptisms happening and things like this, and I was so excited. And I thought the people of the church must be excited as well. Until a family came up to me one morning who had been to the church for many years, uh, many years before I arrived there. And they said to us, we're actually going to move on to another church. We're going to the church up the road. And I said, oh, okay, that's, that's a little disappointing when things are happening here. I said, What's, what, what seems to be the problem? And I, I will never forget it. The, the husband said to me, we just don't like the calibre or the type of people who are coming to our church now. Now, the area that I worked in was quite a, a socio-economically uh, lower area, I guess, and as I said, quite diverse culturally. But I felt that God was doing so much in the church and their, their, their motivation for moving on because the dad just didn't like the type of people who were becoming part of our church family. Out of all the conflicts that I've mediated or been pulled into in churches, nothing hurts so much as that particular comment from my own experience. We are to show no favouritism, no prejudice, no discrimination, because these kinds of things destroy unity, they destroy harmony, they destroy oneness with Jesus Christ. Every member is valuable, every member is important. Rich or poor, young or old, regardless of educational status or occupation, black or white, Australian or German, we are all accepted by God. Therefore, Paul says, accept each other. Only then can we truly grow together. The third one, another I want to look at this morning and finish on, is found in Romans 15, 14. And this is a difficult one. It's to admonish, correct, or instruct one another. Paul writes to the church in Rome, And concerning you, my brothers, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Correcting one another or instructing one another is a really tough thing to do. Sure, we do accept each other into the church, but we are committed to one another's good. We are committed to what God is doing in their life. And part of that from time to time is to not let someone else or another, one, another person's uh, sinful behaviour continue within the church, particularly when it is divisive or destructive. We don't sweep it under the carpet because we know that what they are doing would be contrary to the work of God in that person's life. And as I said before, as when I served as a Baptist minister, this was perhaps the most difficult 
uh, thing to do. But it was necessary, especially, as I said, if the behaviour was causing division within the body. But the, the responsibility of admonishing or correcting others uh, is not just the job of the leaders. It's a shame you can relax. Not just the job of the leaders. It's a responsibility, Paul says, here of all believers. What makes a believer, though, or a Christian, competent to admonish or instruct others? Well, Paul says to the believers in Rome that they were qualified to do this because of two things. The first thing he says, that you are full of goodness. Believers there were making progress in their walk with God. They weren't perfect, but they were maturing. And what Paul was looking for was attitudes like humility and gentleness and love, the display of the fruit of the Spirit. He was looking for people, or he was saying you're qualified. If you demonstrate those attitudes, you're the type of person, I guess, who knows enough to remove the plank from your own eye before you correct another. So he says if you're going to instruct or correct or admonish others, be full of goodness. The second thing that he says is that you, well, they were complete in knowledge. That is, they have adequate knowledge of God's will for believers. Admonishing or correcting must be based on God's will and God's ways, not what we think. And those ways and that will are revealed ultimately through the person of Jesus Christ and the Bible who testifies to that person. And there are guidelines for admonishing found throughout the New Testament. Acts 20.31 says you must have a deep concern and love for the person. Colossians 3.16, it must come from pure motives and it must include spiritual wisdom. But if you genuinely love other people, what Paul is saying is it sets the right context to admonish them or correct them or challenge them. Challenge those who are straying from the path that God desires for them, which is ultimately the best life that they can have. So it's actually uh, an expression of one's love to admonish or to challenge or to correct a brother or sister in faith. But Paul says, make sure it is done in love and make sure your motivation uh, is genuine. John C. Ball, an American missionary and author, says this, You demonstrate biblical love when you take steps to restore a fellow believer overtaken in sin. This not only encourages a fallen believer, and I love these words, to return to their first love, Jesus Christ, but it also gives others involved in the restoration process ongoing opportunities to examine the depth of their love to the Lord. But as before I move on, don't forget to encourage brothers and sisters as well. So in saying this, you know, it is, I guess, a responsibility that we admonish or correct others. Don't go around looking for faults and pointing them out. Paul was a master at encouraging others as well. When you read through Paul's letters, when it was necessary to admonish Christian brothers and sisters, Paul did, but with tenderness and tears. When he could commend them, he preferred it. 
and he never hesitated to give Christians credit to the utmost extent to which it could be rendered. He did not flatter them, but told the truth. He did not commend people to excite their pride and vanity, but to encourage and to prompt still more active efforts. Right throughout Paul's writing, probably except for the introduction to the letter to the Corinthians, because of their move away from the gospel, he always starts with encouraging words. I praise God most of all for your hope, your faith, and your love. Whenever it was necessary and he could encourage, he encouraged them as much as possible. As we can can obey, I guess, these exhortations, be devoted to one another, accept one another, and when needed, admonish one another in love and with wisdom, we manifest the fruit of the Spirit. In addition, we demonstrate the unity and spiritual growth that God desires for his people in community. We make the invisible kingdom visible through faithful Christian living and a great witness to those who look at our community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul. We thank you for Paul's uh, letters and throughout his letters, his teachings on how we need to treat and to think about one another. We pray, Lord, that we would be a church that does put effort into how we do things, that does put time and effort and prayer into your vision for this church's future that we can be as professional as we can in the ministries and programs that we put on. But most of all, Lord, we pray that these things will be built on a foundation of devotion to one another, acceptance to one another, and when time is needed, Lord, from time to time, admonishing one another. And we pray this for the glory of Christ and for his mission in this world. Amen.